Good evening. Tonight, I want to consider the role of self-control in our lives. This has been a, a study that's been very beneficial to me as it's something I know I need daily and I, I pray it'll benefit you as well. When we first think of self-control, the first thing that may come to our minds is the world and the society around us. How it is out of control, often seeming to be void of restraint and self-discipline. Society that says, do whatever makes you happy. Follow any and every urge and desire that you might have, regardless of how it affects those around you. As Christians, we are called to a higher standard, to be people of control and discipline. And as we walk each day, we understand that that can be a struggle. As we live in the flesh, we struggle to say no. We should use self-control daily when dealing with our emotions and our tongues, controlling our bodies, choosing how we will speak to and treat others, and in what we will choose to look at and think about, what we choose to eat or often how much, our finances, being a good steward of what God has given us. Paul calls us to self-control in Galatians 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You may be familiar with the King James Version that translates this word tolerance, or temperance, I mean temperance, from Strong's G 1468, meaning to be strong in something masterful. We are talking about restraint exercised against our impulses and desires. Having power, mastering, controlling, refraining, holding back from something. That we have a life governed by reason and conviction rather than impulse and passions. Inner discipline that's reflected in our outward action. If we read a few verses ahead here in Galatians 5, we see Paul contrast the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatries, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outwards, outburst of wrath, selfish ambition, dis, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like and of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in times past, that those, who do practice, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We read of characteristics of a life out of control versus a life that's under control by the influence of God. As we consider the works of the flesh Paul has listed, self-control plays a part in defeating each one of them. Not only does it aid in defeating the works of the flesh, but it also aids into us developing each fruit of the Spirit in our life. So we see that our success and our failures point back to self-control. 1 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8. But also for this... But also for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are in you and abound, you will neither, 
you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in 2 Peter, we have what's commonly referred to as the Christian graces, characteristics that are crucial to our Christian walk, things that contribute to the growth of our faith, characteristics that lead to us being fruitful in this life. And we see among this list self-control. So as we consider why we need self-control, I imagine we can all look at our own lives and recognize that our life is better when we live with discipline or look back in the past in times in our lives where we lived out of control. Proverbs 25 verse 28, whosoever, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. We can see in biblical times that the walls of a city were very important. They were crucial. As we consider the walls of Jericho and how those walls were their first line of protection, first line of defense against their enemy. And when we don't rule our own self, practice self-control, we are defenseless against Satan and his devices. When self-control is practiced and developed, our life is better in every way. And when it is missing, our lives are more difficult and made more chaotic. It affects us not only personally, but it also can impact our families as well as the church. Personally, we experience negative physical consequences when we are out of control. Consider gluttony, alcoholism, addictions, lack of work ethic, failure to provide for oneself, unhealthy relationships, unbridled anger. Our health and happiness ties back to restraint in these areas. And above all, it affects us spiritually. When we serve the flesh over God, when we are ruled by the flesh, Galatians 5 says, when we practice the works of the flesh, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our souls are at stake. We risk losing everything when we live out of control. What about our families and those we influence? How are we affecting them? Again, if we are addicted to alcoholism, alcohol, pornography, gambling, if we are compulsive spenders, how does, those, how does that affect those we are to provide for? How many lives are we hurting and influencing? Colossians 3 verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I read this point, I read this to make the point and recognize that we as parents have a major impact in our children. They are watching us. They are learning from us. We gravely influence their life, but is it for worse or better? We must daily consider this impact. Often, it's our, often the bad habits and quirks that our children have are things that they have picked up from their parents, learned from their parents. They have seen that in action in their parents' lives, and that should be very convicting. Are we showing them what it means to live a life of discipline under the influence of God's word? Are we sh or are we showing them, demonstrating, them to demonstrating to them hypocrisy? If we live out of control every day but Sunday, they will notice. If we are ruled by our flesh and our desires and passions, they will likely do the same in their own life. How can we expect to guide and lead our children and our families when we can't 
have discipline and control in our own life. In Titus 1, we find the qualifications for an elder, attributes we should all aspire for and strive for as Christians. And we see that these things as well tie back to self-control. For a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. As we go into the world and to work and interact in our communities, if we don't practice these things, if our lives are out of control, it will not only hurt our own reputation and credibility, but it will hurt the credibility of the church. It's been said and preached many times before, as Christians we are called to a higher standard. That people notice, people notice that we don't engage in excess, partake in addictions and lusts that are so prevalent around us. We read of this in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dis- dissipation, speaking evil of you. When we live lives out of control, when we live lives under control, when we don't practice what everyone else around us, people will think it strange that our lives are not out of control. We should stand out in this way, not blend in. It's a testimony to unbelievers. Ask yourself, are you compromising the credibility, influence, and example of the church by the way you live your life? If we desire to make change, to have a positive impact and influence in our lives, in our families, and those around us, it starts with us that individually we are taking responsibility for our own lives and being the people God has called us to be. And we can recognize that sin and a lack of self-control has consequences, can lead to pain and hardship. For a moment, I want to contrast the choices of David and Joseph. We can read of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. And we see where when David went up to his roof, he saw Bathsheba bathing. David then inquired about her, and being informed that she was the wife of Uriah, he still sent for her to come to him, and the Bible says he laid with her. David in no way practiced self-control. He acted solely on his carnal desires. He was led by the flesh. He saw a woman bathing, and he pursued, pursued his physical desires. We know Bathsheba conceived, and to follow was a lot of pain, heartache, and sin. From having Uriah killed, the inner pain and turmoil that David experienced as his sin separated from God, and we also see that David had a negative influence and impact on his family. In 2 Samuel 12, we read that David's son Amon also chose to serve the flesh. And he forced himself upon his half-sister because of his lack of self-control. Great sin and hardship because of David's choices and lack of control. We read of Joseph and Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. 
We read that day by day as Joseph worked in the house, Potiphar's wife sought Joseph to lie with her. Daily, but we see Joseph did not give in, but he recognized his place with God, that God had called him to self-control. We read of this in Genesis 39. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that, is, that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It says he refused and asked, How can I sin against God? Joseph took responsibility, ultimately denying the flesh and submitting to God. And as we continue reading, as she tried to catch him, he fled from her presence. We know that Joseph was later put in prison due to Potiphar's wife's deceit. But because he remained faithful to God, he was ultimately elevated by God to second in command over all of Egypt. And he and his entire family were blessed. So we recognize how self-control or a lack thereof affects our lives, how it's crucial to our Christian walk. So now we ask, what do we need to control? We've already mentioned some things in our readings and examples, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, for, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, is temperate in all things. Paul says, be temperate in all things. We have entire lessons, sermons, and studies devoted to specific things that require self-control. A few that probably come to mind are our thoughts and our mind, our eyes, our tongues, anger and emotions, money, and our bodies. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Often when the Bible talks about self-control, it's talking about sexual self-control or control of our bodies. And I believe that starts in our eyes and in our mind. As we consider Adam and Eve in the garden, when, they, when we have a reaching problem, seeking after things we shouldn't, reaching for forbidden fruit, it starts with a thinking problem. Thinking on that thing causes us to look at it and again leading us to seek after ungodly things. We understand how our eyes and our thoughts are connected. When we look at something, it causes us to think about it. When we look at evil or inappropriate things, it will lead to impure thoughts and vice versa. Romans 8 verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on things of the Spirit. Again, that's something we understand. If we look, if we're thinking about something, we're going to set our mind to it. When we set our mind to something, we fixate, we focus on it, and that often leads us to action, good or bad, depending on what we have set our minds on. We must control our minds and determine that we will not serve who we will serve. To draw a line in the sand, 
Will we serve the creature, our flesh, or will we, or will we serve God, the creator? That we put to death the deeds of the body, as we can read in Romans 8. Do as we read in 1 Corinthians 9, to discipline our bodies and bring them into subjection. Subject to God and his will, not our own. And it starts with us recognizing areas in our life that lack control. We may have different things we must battle against, but we all struggle with some area of control. We could fill the screen behind me with lists of things that require self-control. We all struggle with the flesh and our bodies, want certain things, and it's the spiritual war between what God is teaching us and what our physical bodies have temptations to. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is no temptation that is not common to man. If you have felt, that, if you have felt a temptation, so have many others. And you can say no to it. Despite what the world says, despite what the world teaches, we can resist. We can say no. God is faithful and he will provide a way of escape for us. And it's important that no one, to mention that no one is exempt from this. We can all control ourselves and we will not be able, we will not be tempted above what we are able. Let's read Ephesians 4 verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off your former conduct. Put on the new man. Put on means that it can be done. We can do it. But we often make excuses for people's bad habits and character say, that's, that's oh so-and-so, that's just the way he is. It's the way he's always been. Or in our lo own life, we think, that's just the way I am. It's the way I was made. I can't help it. There are no exceptions in any of these verses. If we have deceit, if we are short-tempered, loud-mouthed, or have a strong sex drive, sex drive, and so on. When we recognize we have a problem, we must take responsibility, accept responsibility, and make a change. So now we ask, how do we have self-control? How do we practice self-control? We have answered why we need it and in what areas, but now we want to look at how. And it starts in Romans 7, verses 24 through 25. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When it, com when it's come to this, when it comes to this topic, it's easy to say, you control it. Control this, you control it. That we bear down and get control and it's my abilities, but really, again, it's I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not that we throw up our hands and say, well, there's nothing I can do. 
It's all on Jesus. What we are talking about is us controlling it through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, depending on Christ and the tools that he has given us. God working through me, God working in me. The power is not within man alone. I want to look at the idea of submission for a moment. As we consider submitting to God and how it goes hand in hand with self-control. When you think about submission, do you think of the person in submission as weak or inferior? Sometimes I believe we confuse submission with subjugation or enslavement. Subjugation, subjugation is when someone more powerful, with more ability, and with more might forces us into something, forces us into obedience. Being forced into something is not submission. Submission, submission is us choosing to submit. James 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Submit here is defined as subordinate, to be under obedience, submit self unto. Submission is not weakness or inability, but it's strength and power through Christ to say I'm going to choose, my, choose to place myself under God and his authority. We have free will and we can reject God and his commandments. Doesn't mean that that won't be without consequences. It's not a good thing to rebel and the Bible is very clear about those consequences and we looked at some of those tonight. But that's where submission gets its power because the person submitting has the ability to reject but chooses not to and instead, and instead says, I'm going to yield. I'm going to obey. I'm going to say no to the flesh and live a life of discipline and self-control. Will we choose to place ourselves under God? And we see that clear in the example that we have of Jesus submitting to the cross, that he chose to pick up the cross, that he chose to bear the cross, that he could have called angels to deliver him from that, but he submitted to the cross and submitted to God's will. And we too are called to pick up our cross daily to take up the responsibilities that we've been given as a Christian. Again in James 4, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It says submit, and it goes on to say, clean your hands, purify your hearts, as to say, be right with God, clean up your life, draw near to God. Self-control also requires diligence and practice on our part. We earlier referred to 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for a prize is temperate in all things. Now they do to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul gives the example of a runner here, and we think about the discipline it takes to run a marathon. It's an incredible feat. 
Runners are very, very diligent and intentional in their training. It requires work and effort. You don't just wake up one day and decide you want to run a marathon. If you do, you would fail. And self-control, we know, is not typically the easy thing to do. It's much easier to go with the flow and follow the world. But we must be diligent and practiced in our self-control. Paul calls us here to discipline our own bodies, and that's something we need to do daily. And I believe that start, starts with small things in our life, saying no to small things. If you enjoy Coke, that you commit to not drinking a Coke for a month, or you decide I'm not going to watch TV for a week, or maybe you see something you really want to buy, and you, you save up your money, you work hard and save up your money, but in the end you're committed to saving that instead of buying that item. And it's all about saying no, practicing restraint in small areas of our life. And I also believe that's where fasting plays an important role in our life. That we set aside time to say no to eating. And in that time, instead, we devote it to Christ. We devote it to God. We devote it to spiritual things, to being in his word. And again, it's about prioritizing spiritual things, prioritizing God over the physical. Romans 13, verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Self-control requires us to no longer make provision for the flesh, to put on Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Give no place to the devil. This requires focus and diligence on our part, intentional living. We can't be passive and just go with the flow and then in a moment in temptation, expect to be able to respond and control ourselves. But we have to prepare for that ahead of time. And we see that in the example of Joseph. In Genesis 39, when Potiphar's wife grabbed him and said to Joseph, lie with me, the Bible says that no other men were in the house. Nobody else was around. He could have committed that sin and no one else would have ever known. But he knew that it was evil and that God had called him higher. And he fled from her presence. He got out of that situation, not making provisions for the flesh. We must separate ourselves from sin knowing that we have been called to a higher standard. Self-control in our lives sometimes, it just requires moderation. Practicing moderation in certain areas, but sometimes it it requires abstaining entirely. Taking drastic measures, making big changes in our lives and in our hearts, making serious modifications, removing people that may be a negative influence on us, refusing to go certain places, places, not allowing ourselves to be alone, getting rid of our computer or smartphone, as we read in Matthew 5, verses 29 through 30. And if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. We must be willing to take drastic measures to make serious changes. It's better to lose certain things in this life than it is is to lose our soul in eternity. 
The stakes are too high. Lastly, we must acknowledge the presence of God. Regardless of where we are, if we are alone, in the dark, away from fellow Christians, God is still present. We are still in the presence of God. Regardless of the situation, we should stop and ask what Joseph did. How can I commit this great wickedness and sin against God? The point was made to me recently that we tend to frame this, that God is always present. And how that can cause us to view God like a big brother. That we imagine God is peeking around the corner waiting, waiting for us to step out of line. Waiting for us to do something wrong so he can jump out and get us in trouble. And I think this causes us to treat our relationship with God as a checklist of do's and don'ts. Don't do this because God is watching or getting as close to the line as we can without crossing it. But when we frame it as we are always in the presence of God and what that demands from us, in the presence of his goodness and holiness, that that should motivate us to strive for holiness, for restraint, to seek a relationship with him and be like Christ in every aspect of our life. Lastly, I'd like to read Proverbs 4, verses 23 through 27. I believe it speaks well to the things we have talked about tonight, that we remain focused, that we keep our eyes trained every day to seek God. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and, be, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your feet from evil. I'd like to offer the Lord's invitation at this time. If you're struggling this evening, if you've been struggling in your life with self-control, if there's areas that you need help, the congregation here would love to help you, to pray for you. You're invited to come and sit on the front seat, or if you've been sufficiently taught the gospel, please come as we stand and sing.